Thanks for joining us today as you listen to a portion of a message recorded at Vine Life Church in Boulder, Colorado. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can visit us online at www.vinelife.com. How you guys doing? Ah, um, good to be back. Last, last week, uh, it was in California with my family. Legoland says hi, by the way. Legoland says hi. Awesome time just to get some R&R, but it's good to be back. So I'm just going to kind of hop in here. If uh, This is your first time to Vine Life. If you're a guest with us, I just want to say welcome again. So glad to have you with us here, even if you're hanging out just for today. Uh, my name is Luke, and uh, I'm the teaching pastor here, and I'm excited to spend the rest of the morning with you here. And, and, and our prayer is that uh, some way, somehow, um, uh, you begin to get a picture of, of what Jesus has accomplished for you. Uh, on the cross and in his resurrection and uh, become awakened to the love he has for you. Amen. And so um, the way I'm going to kind of launch into this is um, talking about connection. It's, it's interesting. Uh, we live in a day where we are very reliable on, on good connections. We're in constant need of connections. When you just take our devices, right, just take a look at the way we're living now with these things in our pockets in our, in our tablets. I, I have to, for this sermon, I have two devices with me right now. Okay. That's not even considering the microphone that's on, on strapped to my back right now. Um, but we're in constant need of, of reliable connections and, and not many days go by, uh, where I'm not looking for the right cable to plug into the right socket. Right. And, uh, you know, we have our phones, we have our tablets, we have our TVs, we have all the things. And, and uh, we have to keep everything plugged in, right? And so you probably know the, the woes of needing to dig through your junk box to find the right cable and nothing ever quite fits. And why did a- Apple just change their, their new thing and the new plug? Why did they do that to us? And I have all these cables and none of them work now. And, and how do you get this to plug into that? And how do you get this to charge? All those things. And, th- and that's just the wired connections. We're not even talking about wireless. Because our conversations, our whole social norms have changed, haven't they? Because, you know, when you go to a coffee shop, you go to somebody's house, even before we ask how you're doing, we're asking what? Hey, do you have a Wi-Fi connection in here? Do you have a, is there a password to get on this? How do I, how do I get connected? I need to stay connected. And that's with the Wi-Fi connections, but we, we add some complications when we start adding the phone lines to the, uh, to the mix. How many, you know, would, would agree that, that phones can be troublesome sometime, all right? And um, it, it, it has changed the way I have conversations because I've found that even, even my technology is not reliable all the time. And so most of my conversations at some point are interjected, interrupted with the repeated questions. Hey, are you still there? Are you still there? Are you still there? Hey, can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Hey, you got me now? You got me now? Right? It's like, hey, look, hold, hold on a second. Let me... Let me run over here. Let me move over here. Let me go upstairs. Let me go stand by the window. All right. Can you get me now? Hold on a second. Let me go. Let me go sit on top of the refrigerator. All right. I'm going to go step outside. I'm going to go run down the street. I'm going to go find a 14er to climb real quick. All right. Hey, I'm, I'm almost through this tunnel. I'm almost off the interstate. I'm almost over this hill. I'm almost in my neighborhood. I'm almost out of this area. We're about to get, this is about to get better. I promise. Right. And, uh, and I, I can't count to you how many conversations I have. We're looking for those connections. And, uh, you know, with the phone, it's really interesting. And a couple years ago, at our, house, our previous house in Firestone, any Firestone people in the room here today? <laughs> wow. We'll pray for you guys. I have been liberated. I am in exile from Firestone. Um, 
we were in Firestone and, 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 and we noticed that our phones at a certain point just stopped working really well, right? And it'd just be this thing where you'd just be dropping calls all the time. We'd be in the house. And we're like, oh, what's going on? So, you know, we call AT&T, go through the whole thing. And, you know, they start walking and asking us questions. They have this whole kind of like checklist of things they want us to walk through. Hey, how about you go on your phone? You're going to try this. You're going to recalibrate that, reset this, and you're going to get things back to normal, right? And, uh, and it just, nothing was working. And so, you know, we, we go to the AT&T store. We talk to a very kind representative. All right, I'll give them that. Very kind representative. And they're like, okay, let's look at your coverage map. All right, let's look at the coverage map in your neighborhood. And so they get this really sophisticated program and you look in on the, on the screen, you go, you zoom all the way in and it shows our neighborhood. And they're like, oh, okay, this, this might explain it. You see this, this is your neighborhood. And as you kind of zero in, you see how you have coverage, there's coverage in all the houses around you. <laughs> but for some reason, there's a dead spot right where you live all of your days, right? Right where you spend most of your time, we cannot service you here, right? And it's like, well, what are we doing here? Like, what, why am I paying for this, right? And so one of those conversations. Hey, do you guys have any idea what I'm talking about? Okay. <laughs> We're going to lead a special time of ministry after the service just for, for that. And so, you know, you walk in through, I'm like, what, what is going on here? And you're like, oh, yeah, you got one cell tower that's like five miles from you, and everybody in the area is connecting to that. I'm like, well, what, what am I supposed to do here? And I'm like, well, we do have this, this thing, this piece of technology. It's called a microcell booster. I'm like, a micro what? You know? Like, a microcell booster, effectively, it's, a, it's an antenna that goes in your home. And I'm thinking what most of us would be thinking after walking through all these troubles. Why are we just now talking about an antenna that's right in the middle of my home? Like, why is this the last resort? Shouldn't be this like, shouldn't be this be the common thing? Like, we're not all connecting with an antenna five miles away. But what if we all had one right in the center of our home? And so I finagled a free microcell booster. So no longer was I trying to connect with an antenna five miles away that 10,000 other people were trying to connect with. But they found a way to get it right into the place that where we live. Now, so I, I think we probably created a, a, a common landing spot here. Most of us know what it means to kind of be on the search for a reliable connection, right? And, and we kind of live in a day where that is what motivates. That's how we live our lives. Now, when we start taking a look at spirituality and our lives in the kingdom of God, I would argue that we rely on the same connection with God. And God... I would propose that the quality of our connection to the Father is proportional to the tenderness and the wholeness of the hearts that he's given us. And that's what I want to I dig into today. This isn't part of a series. This isn't part of a, you know, a, an ongoing conversation. But this is something I just felt like the Lord wanted us to press into today to look very specifically at the condition and the tenderness and the softness of the hearts that he has given us. Because God, he designed our hearts to be like an antenna that connects us with the Spirit of God. And all throughout Scripture, the Father is always after the whole heart of his people. Are you guys with me here today? Are you guys alive? So if, if uh, you got uh, your Bibles, open up to Ezekiel chapter 36. I want to take a look at one of these passages. And all throughout Scripture, God addresses his people based on the condition of their heart. Now, we know the heart, especially in the Old Testament, the heart is used in Scripture as the most comprehensive term for the authentic person. 
It's the part of our being where we desire, deliberate, and decide. It has been described as the place of conscious and decisive spiritual activity. And sometimes, especially in the Old Testament, there's kind of a a back and forth between talking about the heart and the spirit. We know the spirit of man is kind of the core of who we are, but often God will address the heart. And in this particular case, for the people of God, the whole nation of Israel, God's chosen people, uh, the, the ones that God marked and set aside to be carriers and conduits of his blessing for the whole world, he, um, he would address their heart regularly. But we, we know what their patterns were. As we read through the Old Testament, we can see what they were prone to. And, and what they were prone to is God would rescue them or deliver them or show up miraculously for them and give it a week and then they're back crafting idols and, and, and wandering away. And God would call them adulterous because their affections of their heart were not given and reserved for the Lord. But they would be dispersed and spread to other things and other pursuits. And there's this constant pattern of them coming to God, returning to God, and then leaving God. And there's this whole thing that over, um, over many centuries, we, we start to see a pattern where it was almost like the heart of his people would become became callous and became hardened to where they had been through so much difficulty and they just didn't know how to restore this connection with God that it's almost like they lost their ability to feel and to be moved. So I want to look at this passage because the prophet Ezekiel, God sends the prophet Ezekiel to the nation of Israel to say, listen, this is where you're at now, but this is a day that's coming for you. Okay, there's a day, there's a new day that's coming for you. Here's what he says, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 24. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. Uncleannesses. That's what my translate. I don't even know. Is that, is that right? Uncleannesses? I'm sorry. Um, and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell on the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Isn't that beautiful? This promise of God saying, I I know that you're in this back and forth always coming and returning, but there's going to come a day where it's not that I'm going to just fix your heart. I'm not just going to just come in and, and, and change a couple things. I'm going to do a complete heart transplant. And he promises there's going to be a day I'm going to take this stony heart that resides inside of you and I'm going to replace it with a heart of flesh, a heart that is tender, a heart that has the ability to feel again, a heart that has the ability to know the, the, the freedom of joy and even the sting of, of pain and sorrow, to be able to feel the whole spectrum and enter into it. That's what a soft heart does. And some of you, maybe you know how that feels when we walk through these seasons or these circumstances in our lives where something went wrong. Somebody that you opened yourself up to took advantage of your heart. They hurt your heart. They abused what you gave to them. Or you've walked through different things where maybe even you expected something to turn out a certain way in life and it didn't. And so you, you've capped off your ability. What, what happened is it's a defense mechanism. We start surrounding our heart with the layers upon layers so it's not penetratable anymore. And so what it does is it protects us sometimes from feeling pain. 
but it also shields us from feeling the joy and the pleasure of God and the delight in God. That's what happens when we get hearts of stone. We lose our ability to be moved one way or the other. But the good news is here today, and can we just get this out on the table, that God, for any, any of us in the room here today, you came in and maybe that's how you feel. Can I just announce some good news to you today? That you don't have to try to fix your heart, but God has reserved a new heart for you through his spirit, through Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection. He has preserved new life for you that's available now, and it's not by your work, but by his. Okay? That's great news. Hey! Cheer up, people. We got good news here today. We are good news people because that's, that's the thing. That's why we're here because we weren't smart enough. I mean, she might be smart enough, right? <laughs> Dr. Sarah McGee, she's probably smart. I, I, surely I'm not smart enough, though, to figure out any of this. But God says, I got a promise for you. And there's a day we're going to take this callous heart and we're going to give you a new nature and put a new spirit inside of you and change your desires and change the way you think and the way you feel. Yeah, such good news. Just to be clear, when I'm talking about a tender heart, I'm not talking about a weak, fluffy, sentimental spirituality. This is not a Valentine's Day message. All right. That's not what we're doing here. The hearts that we've been given are strong and bold, but they have the capacity to be filled and to be broken. They have the capacity to rejoice, to mourn, to be compassionate. They're not fragile hearts, but they are tender. This is what it means to be fully human, created in the image of God. A few other things about tender hearts. Tender hearts are not just soft. They are strong enough to bear the burdens of others. Tender hearts are not just gentle, but they are mighty in handling the tasks before them. Tender hearts are not just caring, but courageous in doing what needs to be done. A tender heart is thick-skinned, yet compassionate and humble. And a tender heart is one that recognizes, receives, and responds to God's voice when he speaks. This is what it looks like to be people of tender hearts. And the thing is, even as God has supernaturally implanted into us a new heart through his spirit, through Christ, we also... I believe, have the responsibility to care for our hearts, okay? Proverbs 4.23 says this, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Hosea 10.12 says this, Plow up the hard grounds of your hearts, for now is the time to seek the Lord, that he may come and shower righteousness upon you. Now, those are both the Old Testament, but I think the principle stands the same. When it comes to the condition of our hearts, that is not something that God does for us. That is something he asks us to be responsible for. Listen, when we are given the spirit of God, we are given a spirit of self-control and the ability to partner with God. And what that means is us partnering with him to pay attention to the condition of our hearts and to recognize the places where it has become hard, to ask him to examine us and to respond to him in that way. This is what it looks like to have a tender heart. And here's specifically what I'm getting at here. This new and tender heart we have been given... I believe today we're going to talk about two things. This new and tender heart we have been given makes us sensitive and responsive to our sin and transgressions and also allows us to know and be moved by God's purposes in our life. I'm going to say that one more time. The new and tender heart we've been given makes us sensitive and responsive to our sin and transgressions and also allows us to know and be moved by God's purposes in our life. Now, 
So kind of two things there, and I'm going to dive deep into these. And they're very specific things, and they're things that I haven't talked about very, uh, very specifically. But I believe today he's, he's, he's wanting to isolate a couple very specific things that we understand what it is he's come to give us and to restore inside of us. You guys with me? Okay. Yes, our new heart makes us more sensitive to the sin in our life, to the wrongdoing to the trespasses, to the grievances, to the transgressions. Okay, now let me explain this. We do believe in the gospel of grace here. Can I get an amen? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are saved by grace through faith, it says in Ephesians 2. Not by our works. So you and I have no room to boast, all right? We were not saved because we figured out how to get rid of sin. We were saved because he absorbed our sin and the damage that we caused. He absorbed it into himself and took it to death with him on the cross, right? So we believe he took care of our sin, Jesus. He took care of our sin and our wrongdoing, both past, present, and future, right? But the reason I feel compelled to press into this is because I want to be sure that in our desire to celebrate the radical grace of God, we do not disregard our call to holy and righteous living. When Jesus took the weight of our sin upon himself on the cross, he freed us from the power and the clutches of sin and death. So we rejoice in that he does not count our sin against us. However, the victory of the cross wasn't meant to belittle the significance of sin, but serves to remind us that he has conquered it. That means that those who put their faith in Jesus are gifted with a new and tender heart. This new heart is not blind or immune to sin, but has restored, but has a restored ability to recognize it, choose to turn from it, and stay submitted to the rule and reign of Christ in our lives. This new heart gives us a chance to cooperate with our righteousness, our holiness, and our new nature. Okay? And, 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 and so let me give you an example of, just, just so we're really crystal clear here. As, as people that are caught up and captivated by the good news of Jesus... It is also possible to misunderstand and misapply the grace of God in our lives. And I have, I have noticed, both in my own thinking and in conversations that I've been in and relationships that I have, oftentimes, maybe even more so among young Christians, though I think this is probably applicable to all of us, when there are times when the Lord exposes wrongdoing, either wrong thinking, wrong feeling, or wrong actions in our life, um, as we, as, as sin issues come up in, in our life and we recognize like, wow, I, there's a trespass here. My heart condition towards this person is wrong. I did this poorly. I cheated here. I lied here. I had this hateful thought towards this person. As those things um, uh, are exposed in our life, uh, oftentimes, while we acknowledge that it's sin, we can also respond as, oh, well, I know that the grace of God covers this. So since Jesus took this with him to the cross, I guess it's really not that big of a deal. I just need to rest and to just know that I'm loved right where I'm at and that he's got this taken care of. Okay? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Okay. Now, when I get in those conversations, or I recognize that in myself, there's nothing wrong about what I just said there. In fact, I would agree. Yeah, 
Grace is fully available to you in the worst of your condition. The love, and, and there is no separation from the love, the majesty of Christ. That's, that is the good news. And the good news is that he did deal with sin. But the purpose of grace, we have to remember the purpose of grace. The purpose of grace is not to affirm our sin, but to call us into God-given holiness. Bill Johnson said it like this. Grace empowers us to righteous living. Okay? Grace wasn't what covered our sin. This is, Bill said this again. Grace isn't what covered our sin. Grace is what covered our ability to return to God anytime we needed it. So what does that mean? That means that, that while, while Jesus conquered sin he, and gave us a new heart, that new heart, the purpose of that new heart is not that we would ignore or not acknowledge or pretend like sin is not a big deal in our lives, but we're quicker to recognize it, choose to repent, which is changing the way we think, thinking a better thought, confessing our sins to each other and to the Lord to, to expose it to the light and, and the blood of Jesus in our lives and then to move on into, into the confession of his righteousness in our lives. It is not to belittle sin, okay? And, and what I'm telling you is this, to preserve tender hearts, the enemy of a tender heart is hiddenness, okay? And, and, and hardening, and when we stay hidden from each other, what we do is we lose our signal. We lose our ability to know the thoughts of, of God. And, and so I hope you get the picture here. Grace abounds. And there, you know, some preachers go like this. They're like, these, these, these churches, they overemphasize grace. They're always overemphasizing grace. No, 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 no. You can never overemphasize grace. All you can do is change your thinking about what grace came to accomplish on your behalf. And what grace does is it empowers you to make a better decision through Christ to choose to believe in what he purchased for us and the new nature he's given to us. And so now I don't, I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm a slave to righteousness. And so now I'm not a sinner, though I sometimes sin. I am a saint and I am going to, through the power of Christ, choose to expose that to the light of Christ and choose to live and grow up in holiness and grow up in righteousness, not to earn anything, not to earn anything but to grow up in it, to cooperate with everything he says about me. Yeah? Good. That landed a lot better than I thought it was going to. Um, and and here's, here's, here's part of it. And this might be helpful. When, when the Lord and the Holy Spirit, the scripture says, one of the purposes and functions of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin. Okay? We don't, we're not supposed to do that for each other. We call that, we can, we can encourage each other and call each other up and say, that I believe is destructive. That needs to change because that is not God's best for your life. But ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit's responsibility. Yeah? Now, when we feel the uncomfortable stirring of God for something to change, when we start to feel what the scripture talks about is the loving discipline of the Father, it can feel different ways. And sometimes if we don't understand what to do with this feeling, we can walk away from it altogether because we feel like that, you know, I'm supposed to just feel loved right now. But hold on, let me help you with this. This feeling of conviction. There's, there's a difference between the feeling of guilt and the feeling of shame, okay? Guilt is the emotion that God has given us to say, I did something wrong. Shame, however, is the emotion that says, I am what's wrong. Okay, 
And so what happens, though, is God allows us the tenderness of our hearts to know when there's a grievance or a trespass. When I walk away from a conversation with my wife and think, I shouldn't have said that. I should not have said that. I should not have done that. Like, that was a sarcastic, passive jab, right? It was an easy one. I saw it coming, and so I jabbed her right in the side, right? Metaphorically speaking, right? With my words. Jab. And so there's a feeling there. And that feeling of, I did something wrong, that is not a wrong, that is not bad. Guilt allows us to recognize it, and again, repentance allows us to change the way we think, to make our heart, ourselves right before each other and before God, through confession, to being quick to forgive, to being quick to ask for forgiveness, all right? Shame, however, is the feeling that we feel when you did something wrong and you're convinced that that problem is so intrinsic that it's buried inside of you, that it is too powerful for your ability to overcome. And so shame is the emotion that the enemy uses to drown us and to bury us any chance he can get. But do not confuse the two, okay? Because tender hearts are able to be moved into righteousness. And let me just ask you, are you growing up in righteousness? Are you growing up and do you find yourself, your heart, the tenderness of your heart? Do you find that it, within you, you have an ability to recognize God's work and his maturity in your life? Again, not in a prideful, arrogant way, not to say I'm so much better than that or this. That's not what I'm talking about. But you're more sensitive to the words coming out of your mouth. You're more sensitive to how your actions are shaping other people's lives. You're more sensitive to the places even between you or God where you need to walk in character and integrity and holiness. That is something that is true of us with new hearts. Are you guys, are you guys with me here today? That's something he's given to us, all right? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that beautiful? He is faithful to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now, you know, almost all the, the men and women I look up to in the faith have modeled this really well. That when I look at them, I notice that as they live, they're very sensitive and tender to how their actions are shaping things. They're quick to ask for forgiveness. They're quick to repent. They're quick to change the way they think. And what this is, it's not a focus on sin. It's a focus on what Jesus did on the cross and what he purchased. I'm not saying we focus on sin. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is we, become, we allow the holiness of God and the kindness of God to motivate our repentance. So, thank you for that exuberant clap. I felt that one. Okay. This is also, the tender heart also allows us to be moved into the purposes of God as we continue these ongoing conversations about the places that God has called us to, the places of impact in our region, the places we work, our neighborhoods, our families. God calls us to be people who feel and to walk into territories and know what he feels. And it involves the ability to, to feel his heart, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to mourn with those who mourn. Some of us are, you know, I'm a very, I'm a pretty stable personality, right? I, I don't really have really high highs and really, I'm pretty, I'm pretty much like this. But what I'm saying though, a tender heart has the ability to at times be moved into laughter because of the beauty and the, the, the whimsical 
kindness of God, but it also has the ability to be moved into tears when we feel the pain of God on behalf of somebody else that we're sharing a space with. When was the last time you were moved to laughter and moved to tears? Just need to ask. When is the last time you allowed the Lord to move you? Jesus modeled this so well in the way he was moved to compassion, the way he was not immune to what was happening on earth. Isn't that crazy that the Son of God was not immune? He was not numb to or cold to the condition of humanity. That everywhere he walked, he knew exactly what people needed, and he was able to go to them and deliver to them the realities of heaven and do it with kindness and compassion and love. I love that about Jesus. And specifically here, I think one thing that we can learn from Jesus on how to cultivate a tender heart is this. One fascinating thing is, as before Jesus ever did his first miracle, before he ever moved out into ministry, we see this very fascinating little section of Scripture um, where Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days. So he's baptized in water. If we had more time, we'd read these passages, but you can look this up. He's baptized in water um, by John the Baptist. And at this point, the Father speaks his affirmation over Jesus, an audible voice from heaven. It says a dove descends, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus. There's this empowering, this initiation, this inauguration of the kingdom of God. And immediately, it says this in Mark 1.12, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Another passage is, he was led out to the wilderness to be tested by the devil. Now, I always joke that this is not exactly the, the greatest uh, catchphrase and marketing, uh, marketing ploy for the Spirit-filled church. Be filled with the Spirit of God, and he's going to lead you straight to Satan out in the desert. But we see this fascinating thing that's happening, and actually this, this coming week, um, Christians all over the world uh, this Wednesday um, uh, uh, come to church to, to, to basically remember, uh, to celebrate Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is the day that marks the beginning of 40 days of fasting. What we know is Lent, not something that we emphasize here, but not something that necessarily we should be apart from either. But uh, Lent starts on this coming Wednesday leading up to the it's 40 days leading up to Easter. It correlates with the 40 days Jesus was in the wilderness. Now, we know that his purpose in the wilderness was for a few reasons. Part of it was prophetic significance, you know, just as the Israelites would wander through the desert. Um, Jesus would come through the desert and be victorious in that place, overcoming sin and temptation. I mean, there's so many things going on here. Um, but I believe that part of what was happening. Jesus was, it was a prophetic symbol, symbolism, is preparation for his ministry. Um, but also, I believe that what was happening in this place is he came into a place of fasting and before the Lord for an extended period of time, that this is how Jesus cultivated a tender heart and you could say um, boosted his signal that would then launch him into a powerful ministry marked by his heart being moved towards the people he lived with and sensitive to the Spirit of God. That Jesus had to fast? What? That's a crazy idea. That he, fat, he didn't eat food for 40 days. That's ridiculous. I don't like fasting at all. I, can't, I mean, fasting for two days is hard, you know? 40 days in the wilderness. But this something about fasting something about this preparation, what it did is it reminded him of what was most important part about him. 
And that was the tenderness of his heart. And so fasting is an interesting topic. John Wesley said it like this. Some have exalted religious fasting beyond all scripture and reason. Others have utterly disregarded it. I'm pretty sure he's right. Okay? And if I was on one of those camps, I would be the one who disregarded it. But let's just be clear here. God gives us ways to care for our hearts. And there's a lot of things that we could uncover in Scripture. But here's what we see about fasting. The purpose of fasting is not to earn favor in the eyes of God, but to grow in our awareness and tenderness towards Him. When we fast, we loosen the grip of things that may control us. Fasting reminds us that we're primarily a spiritual being. That the most important part about us, inside of us, is, is the Spirit of God inside of us. Fasting heightens our awareness of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Jesus said, man cannot live on bread alone, but what? Every word from the mouth of God. Fasting increases our dependence on God and not just our desires. What happens in, in times of fasting, is it, as it tenderizes our hearts, we, be, it, we begin to cultivate a gentle receptiveness to divine breathings. And then what we find in the place of fasting, that most people who fast regularly don't even call it fasting, they call it feasting. Because very quickly, when we are able to step away from things that we cling to so closely, something in our awareness begins to unlock and we begin to feast on the, the, uh, feast on the, the kindness and the patience and the grace and mercy of God in a level that we were never able to see before. Fasting is like feasting. Heidi Baker uh, said it like this. She said, I love fasting because it makes me hungry. <laughs> <clears throat> Physically and spiritually, it recalibrates us and brings our souls into alignment with the things of the Spirit. The, the early church did this all the time. So many breakthroughs in, uh, in, in Christian history, church history, came in times where people gave themselves to this. Now, here, here's, this is, I've never talked about fasting before, and, and quite honestly, it's not something I plan on talking about very often. But I felt like the Lord wanted to remind us that He has given us a responsibility to acknowledge this new heart that we've been given and to care for it. And sometimes in places where we become desensitized or places where we, be, we become hard, we lose our ability to feel both the transgression and the sin, but then also the joy and, and the heart of God over a region, then he calls us into a place of, listen, that heart is inside you. I just want you to become aware of it and to recalibrate that. And that happens through seeking God. And oftentimes it happens through prayer and fasting. Now, is fasting required as part of the faith? No. Is this whole thing of Lent required? No. But what I'm saying, though, is, is if God would lead you, if you're in a place where something needs to be changed, something needs to be restored, something needs to be retenderized, I'm asking you to ask the Lord, um, if it is right for you to seek him in this way and to see what happens and changes in your life. Because I'm telling you, when we humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God and we come to him and we ask him to restore our hearts to everything he intended for it, I promise you that he will. I promise that he will. And that what that might mean is that you become more aware of what's happening in your life. You become more aware of your conversations. You become more aware of your actions. You become more aware of your family and your kids and your coworkers. And you begin to see how God is interacting with you, how God is interacting with the people around you. And this is what I love about the new nature that God has given us. So, I'm going to read one last passage if I can find it. And this is the passage that 
Gwen started with this morning. Hebrews 4, 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That was Jesus in the desert. He faced temptation. He overcame. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that may we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So I just want to pray for us this morning. Um, can we stand together? I do believe that the tender heart, being people of not fragile, but tender hearts, bold people, but with soft hearts, this is what allows us to be conduits of God's blessing in our region, to be carriers of his goodness. This is what allows us to cooperate with the maturing process of God, sanctification in our life. This is his goodness. This is his goodness that he's given us the ability to feel. I'm going to pray over us here today. And if you would like to receive a new recalibration in your heart, I just want to ask you to put your hands out. Or better yet, do this. Put your hand on your heart. And I'm going to pray for us here today. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you, God, that you are not distant from our shortcomings and our weaknesses and our failures our turmoil, our upendings, the chaos that we sometimes feel. But God, I thank you that in the middle of all those things, Father, that you came to us and you implanted into us a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. And you gave us the ability to feel what you feel, to feel your joy, to feel your grief over things on earth, God. And God, I pray that this morning, Lord Jesus, as we come to an end of another gathering, another service, Lord Jesus, that you would let all of us be reminded as we walk out the stores of the new heart and the tenderness that you've designed us to live in. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for those who haven't felt anything in a long time because there's been a hardness and maybe even for good reasons. Maybe there's been things taken. Maybe there's been things stolen. Maybe there's been pain that's been afflicted. Maybe there's been unmet expectations or loss that we can't even put our words to. And it's caused a thick layer around our hearts. God, I thank you even today that your power, your power is available right now to break the heart of stone and infuse a heart of flesh. Our ability to feel again. To not just feel shortcomings, God, but to feel your love, to feel your comfort, to feel your joy, to feel the warmth of the Father. I thank you today to make us a people who have tender hearts, a people that can feel, a people that cooperate with the good news of Jesus Christ, Lord God. That you empower us to recognize and move away from our sin and transgressions, that we are quick to make things right. That is the type of people you've made us to be, not a people that are callous and ignorant, but a people who are quick to, to, to see and to respond to everything that you're doing in us and around us, Lord God. I thank you that we are people of tender hearts. We are people of a new heart through the work of Jesus Christ. And I pray a blessing 
over all of us as we leave, that that tender heart, that that kindness would translate to the world around us. Lord God, that others would change the way they think about you. They would change the way they think about themselves and would also enter into the life and the pleasure and the goodness of God. We love you, Jesus. We love you, God. Somebody shout to the Lord this morning. Come on.